let's take just a moment to pray and to, uh, to breathe and to really be present to what God has for us. God, we really do stand in amazement that though there would be many in this community who would call us enemies of you, you call us friend. And even at this moment, you are thinking of each one of us. You're mindful of us. Can we dare say that you're even in love with us? Oh God, help us to be in love with you, that our relationship with you might be all about love and life and hope and possibility and dreams and vision and all that you purpose for us. Oh God, help us to take a deep breath today and with that breath to recognize again that your spirit is present in this place. Oh, you're that close to us. And when we release our breath, may we be releasing your spirit to those around us. For you have called us to be in Christ, Christ in us, Christ present, Christ breathing through us. And in recognizing all of this, help us to truly soar in our lives, to rise up like those wings of dawn, to change the world that all would know they are a friend of yours and you're thinking of them and you're in love with them. Teach us now. Amen. <sighs> a lot of times I offer kind of a rah-rah sermon, kind of a enc spiritual encouragement to kind of rile you up and get you going. And uh, today's message, however, is more teaching-oriented. Um, today's message, in fact, may be one of the most practical messages I've ever preached. Some real practical strategies for you. If you're at a place in your life where you are making decisions or choices, then this message is for you. It may be that you've been dating someone for a while and you're trying to decide whether to take it to the next level or not and you're dealing with that choice. It may be that you're looking at refining your, your house and you're, you're praying about that and you're looking at that. It, it may be that there are some decisions being made for you. Maybe you're in a legal situation and you're at the mercy of the courts and lawyers and that kind of thing and the choice you have to make is how are you going to respond to that situation? I mean, fill in the blank. Chances are most of us are at a place of decision at some level in our lives. So to begin this message today, I would like you to take just a moment, take a breath, and identify what decision it might be that you're holding before God or wrestling with or fretting over or however you might describe it. Take a moment and, uh, and just identify a, a place of decision in your life. Okay. All right. Based on the response at 9 o'clock, there are some, some pretty heavy decisions out there. And uh, the message today will give you some practical tools to address those decisions. You see, just as many of us gathered in this room today are at a place of decision in our lives, that's exactly what's going on in the scripture today. In the gospel you heard today, the disciples who are gathered with Jesus for that last supper are also at a place of decision in their life. You see, they've 
given up everything to follow Jesus. And in a sense, once they made that decision to follow Jesus, things in a way were pretty clear for them. Jesus said, follow me, and they did. (laughs) It wasn't always easy, but it was laid out for them. Jesus, in a sense, took them by the hand. But now they are aware that Jesus is going to leave them. And so this one who they've been following all along is now ready to go away. And so they are facing this decision. They're looking at Jesus. They're seeing what's ahead. They're somewhat in a state of denial. But at the same time, they're asking, what are we going to do now? (laughs) Who are we going to follow now? Some of the choices before them. Maybe whether or not to go back to their families after Jesus is gone. They're also aware that things are really heating up, that it's looking pretty dangerous. So another decision might be whether or not to go the rest of the way through. Whether to to run and try to protect themselves, to hide, to go away. All kinds of stuff is going through their heads. What are we going to do? And I think Jesus saw that they were at this place of decision and confusion, perhaps discouragement. He saw all the mixed feelings in the room, like the mixed feelings in this room. And he said, I will give you what you need at this moment. And what they needed is described right there in the scripture. When the disciples said, what are we going to do now? Jesus said, I send you my spirit. I send my spirit to guide you. Now he has a little bit of convincing to do. What he wants them to understand is that what they see as a great loss in his going away is ultimately going to be a great gain. And this is why. Jesus is offering them a physical presence. That physical presence has been there all along. But when Jesus says that when he goes away, the Spirit can come, what he's saying is, you're going to have a presence that's even more powerful. It's going to be the presence of the Spirit. And the Spirit is not going to be like me, Jesus, out here where you touch me. The Spirit is actually going to be in you. What I'm giving you is actually better than what you've had. (laughs) What I'm giving you will be inside of you. And the truth is you'll still have me. Because what the Spirit speaks, the Spirit will get from me. In other words, Jesus says, when I go away, I will still be in communication with the Spirit. And then that spirit is going to be in communication with you. Not from the outside, but the inside. And you will have everything you need. The spirit will guide you. Not from out here, but from in here. And that in here is me. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you're really not going to lose me. (laughs) In fact, you're going to have me even closer than you had me before. Now, this is amazing, powerful stuff. Do we realize how powerful our spiritual life is? It's amazing. It's amazing. And Jesus said, this can be yours.
Now comes the practical stuff. The idea of being able to tap into that spirit to therefore make better decisions and in making better decisions to have a better life. I want to give you three very practical tools that come from the life of Jesus. I will not say these are simple tools. These are clear tools, but they're not simple. The first tool to tap into making better choices through the Spirit is to find a place of silence. Sometimes God speaks in a whisper. And how will we hear the whisper unless we find a place of silence? Jesus modeled this for his disciples throughout their entire ministry. Scripture after scripture, if you read the Gospels, talks about how Jesus goes to a lonely place, a place of prayer. In his beginning hours, Jesus went to prayer 40 days in the wilderness. And then even as he faced his death, Jesus went to that garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was able to go through with his call and his mission because he found a silent place of solitude and heard the guidance of God to help him make the decision that ultimately has impacted all of us. If Jesus hadn't gotten quiet, most likely he would not have fulfilled his purpose and his mission because all the other voices would have been louder than God's voice. And that's what happens if we don't get quiet. If we don't get quiet, every other voice will be the influencer in our life rather than the voice of God. In this final scene that you see described here in the scripture today in the upper room, when Jesus is with the disciples, when he's sharing them this story about how the Spirit will come, there are moments of silence built into this, this whole passage at the feast, at the meal, the washing of the feet. It's all woven together. So the first tool is find a silent place, and I will admit it's not an easy tool because it means we're going to have to take another choice, which is turning off the TV and the radio. Choosing well requires a a receptive silence. We cannot clearly hear someone whispering if the radio or the television is blaring. We cannot hear the deepest levels of discernment if our life is full of noise. Static invading our inner attention prevents us from listening carefully to what is going on deep within ourselves. Gently but firmly putting aside the noise of our life through a kind of inner silence is very helpful. Quietude and calm, solitude and silence have to be learned and practiced, especially today when our environment is so full of the noise of the unnecessary, the unessential. To know the message of the heart, let's go back to silence. Again, a very clear tool, but not an easy tool. In fact, if you're like many people in this room, what do you do the minute you go get home? Turn on the TV. What do you do the minute you get in your car? Turn on the radio. It's like we're almost afraid of what we might hear in the silence. To really hear God, it will take the discipline of making the choice to turn off the TV and the radio sometimes to make the greater choice of hearing God. Now I know this isn't easy. I know this is countercultural. I've struggled with this myself. During Lent this year, I made a commitment to turn off the television all through the Lenten season and to take that time and devote it to prayer. I did that. 
And it was amazing what came to me as I prayed during the night. As I went to bed and heard God's voice as the last voice of, a day, of the day, it's amazing how the next morning I woke up with energy and a sense of, of clarity and calm and purpose. Uh, it was truly a transformative time for me. But Lent ended. <laughs> we went through Easter. And I can remember going home one night, and I'd, I'd established this habit of going to prayer and lighting candles and having a peaceful night, but I thought, I wonder what I've been missing. And so I turned on Anderson Cooper 360. And I tell you what, Anderson Cooper does a really good broadcast. There was some interesting stuff there. And I found myself drawn into that. Well, the next night I go back to TV, and there's Anderson Cooper again. I soon found that Anderson Cooper, even though he's great, became a barrier to me and the voice of God. Whereas before I was waking up refreshed and energized, I found myself going to sleep thinking about some of those sad news stories that Anderson Cooper was telling. And I found myself waking up with less energy. I found my spirit more and more disturbed. Practical tool. Turn off the TV. At least ensure that the last voice you hear and the first voice you hear is the voice of God. A little practice I've developed is that when I get into my car, I don't turn the radio on right away. When I'm leaving my house, I don't turn the radio on until I get to 43rd Street. When I leave this church property, I don't turn my radio on until I get to Washington if I'm going in that direction. So at least for those moments, I'm, I'm centering in on what God might want to share with me in those moments, to remember that God really is the center of my life, not the radio. Amen. Now, I do turn on the radio later to hear the Astro score. <laughs> but it's important to find that place of silence. So that's the first tool to make better choices, is to find a silent place so you can actually hear that voice of God to influence our decision. Okay, the second tool. The second tool is also not easy. It is maturity. God does not make our decisions for us. God has given us brains and minds and values. It's amazing how often we will make our decisions impulsively without thinking about our values. God is calling us to recognize that we have brains that we're adults. He was trying to get that across to the disciples throughout his ministry. He saw the way that they were positioning for favors. He saw their fear. He saw all the ways they were slipping into less than adult behaviors. And so throughout his ministry, he taught values. He taught principles. I want you to hear a testimony of someone who came to a realization that God had created them to be an adult. While the whole process of choosing well was unfolding in front of me, I had a very powerful experience. Suddenly I realized that the decision was my decision. Of course, God had helped me to be patient and consistent. God had given me patience and courage, enlightenment and help through myself and my friends. Eventually, God had confirmed me, yet God never usurped my freedom. The decision had been my decision. 
After a moment of surprise, I felt dignified. God had treated me like a mature, free adult. Again, this is countercultural. We live in a culture that wants us to be impulsive, a culture that wants us to impulsively buy their product. There are lots of reasons why manufacturers don't want us to grow up. And yet the call of Scripture is to be mature, to use our brains, to use our hearts as well, to use our principles. Now again, this one slapped me in the face. (laughs) For the last year, I have been wrestling with an issue. And I tell you what, I have gone to God again and again and again with this issue, asking God to heal me, protect me, save me, help me. And this week, there I was again, driving down T.C. Jester, wishing I had some Kleenex, crying my eyes out, hoping nobody was looking into my car to see me crying. And I said, God, when are you going to help me with this? Help me. Please, God, speak to me. Speak to me. Well, God spoke. You know what God said? Grow up. (laughs) You have what you need. You keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. Use your brain, Dwayne. I gave you a brain. (laughs) So the first tool, silence. It'll help you make better choices. Maturity. Help you make better choices. And then the third one is also a tough one. The third one is community. Community is the other tool that God gives us when it comes to making choices in our lives. This is also countercultural. We live in a culture that invites us to be independent, a culture that heralds those who achieve great things on their own. The truth is we have a competitive culture that really doesn't value teamwork, and yet that's what the Spirit is calling us to today, this sense of community the other tool for making strong decisions for strong lives. Something happens to us when we consult one another in Christian community. In sharing our thoughts with others, surprising insights often emerge, opening our eyes to what we have not seen and our ears have not heard. Although God calls each of us personally as individuals, we see only partially. Individual perception, reasoning, and understanding are always limited. Even a person who feels absolutely certain that a specific revelation comes from God may be mistaken as to how it is to be applied. Because God often reveals part of the picture to one person and another part to another person, it is prudent to consult one another to discern God's counsel, guidance, and direction even if there's no apparent reason to do so. While circumstances sometimes require us to act without consulting others, the danger of arrogance and error in proceeding on our own can be great. Again, look at the scripture. Notice that Jesus did his entire ministry in the context of community. He didn't call a disciple. He didn't say, I want you to be my vice president. (laughs) Instead, Jesus called a team. He called a community. He called a wisdom council to minister with him, to walk with him. 
Look through the scriptures and you'll see that almost all of Jesus' teachings are done in the context of community and team, with a few rare exceptions like with Nicodemus. But most of the time, Jesus is functioning in community. We really do need each other. Not just so we won't be lonely, but so we'll make better decisions, so we can pray for each other, so we can support each other. If you look at the ministry of Jesus happening in community and in the context of team, you also see here the value of diversity. I believe it's part of the reason why we are called to be a uniquely, radically diverse congregation. Diversity is a justice issue, but diversity is also a wisdom issue and a guidance issue. You see, God in God's creativity created each one of us to be uniquely different. And I believe in the bottom of my heart that there is something that God has put in you that's only in you. And there's something that God has put in me that's only in me. But if I don't get to know you and you don't get to know me, there's something about God we're going to miss out on. We need each other because God has given us different insights. Bring all those insights to the table and something amazing and powerful happens. Now, here's the real key. What happens if you take all of these three tools, silence, maturity, and community, and bring them together? What you have is something powerful and amazing. You bring silence and community together and the wisdom is released even more. Let me give you a specific example on that one. Back when we were on Decatur Street, looking at moving to this property, we had a new facility task force and spiritual growth group. One of the jobs before us was to hire an architect to help make this property usable for the congregation that moved here. We interviewed like over 50 architects. We had this whole process. We had charts and papers and all this kind of stuff. We finally narrowed it down to three architects. It then came time to vote on which architect we would hire. Well, one of the architects did not get a vote, but the other two architects, out of 12 people on the team, got six votes apiece. (laughs) So half the team wanted this architect, half the team wanted this architect. All right, what are we going to do? Well, we tried the maturity thing. We got all of the best information we could out on the board. We did the pros and the cons. People spoke in favor of this architect. Others spoke in favor of that architect. We brought our best intelligence to the table. And then we prayed, and we voted again. And guess what the vote was? Six to six. (laughs) All right. We had community. We had maturity. It came time for silence. We were at an impasse. And so I asked the group at that moment to go to a place in that same room and to be silent for just 10 minutes to seek the heart of God now we didn't close the meeting we didn't sleep on it we simply took 10 minutes right there in that room and all went to different sections of the room and prayed we then came back to the table after 10 minutes and again we took the vote and guess what the vote was it was unanimous in favor of one of the architects There is power in praying together in silence and in community. All right. 
This message, as I said, is one of the most practical I've ever preached. Three very simple tools, no, not simple tools, clear tools that are hard to implement. The silence, the maturity, and the community. But let's do it now. I invite you to get into a position that's comfortable for you, to put aside any distractions that you might have, and now go back to that issue that I asked you to identify at the beginning of the service today. My hope and my prayer is that if you don't get an answer today, you'll at least get peace today. So let's take a moment right now. Identify again the issue, the decision before you, the choice you have to make. And just hold that before God. And let's take a moment to be silent as community. God, at this moment, you know all the choices that are being held before you. And I ask God that at this moment, you would help every decision maker in this room to either know your will or to know your peace. We acknowledge that the timing is yours, but we just hold all these decisions before you. And now that you've lifted your own decision before God, take a moment now to pray for the others in this room that are also at a place of decision. Pray for those around you. Pray for those in this room. God, I praise you and thank you that you are so real that you've been working even in this moment in this very room. I thank you for those today who received direction at the 9 o'clock service. And I thank you for those who have received direction in these moments. I thank you for the peace that you give us when we hold our choices before you. And God, I pray that you would truly help all of us to find that ability to constantly seek your voice and to respond to your voice, to live in your presence. Help us to make choices that support the ultimate choice you hold before us. Oh, make us a strong people, that we might be a strong church, that we might strengthen our community. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on us as individuals. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on this your church. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on your world and hear the prayers of your people who pray. Amen.